Are you bored living a mediocre life? We were too, and we know how to change that. Each week, we'll leave our comfort zones to explore a new topic, then step onto our soapboxes, a safe space to sound off on our latest adventure. Come explore with us. All opinions are welcome. This is a mindset. This is a lifestyle. This is Siren Soapbox. Hello, fellow explorers. Welcome to Siren Soapbox. Thank you for diving in and exploring with us. We're on a mission to explore beyond comfort zones because that is where meaningful growth and lasting happiness can be found. We believe that exploration is for everyone. It can take place anywhere, no matter your location or situation. And we've made exploring even easier. Check out our pre-dive episode number 114 and the description for links on how to follow along on all of our explorations in February. So many ways to explore, pick one today and experience life outside of your comfort zone. Back in the summer of 2021, during episode 40, we talked to Mike Rucker about his upcoming book, The Fun Habit. We learned why it's so important to make a habit out of having fun. Making a conscious effort to regularly have fun can lead to some serious physical and psychological benefits. We also dove into the Rucker play model and discovered how much time each of the sirens spent in a week in the pleasing, living, yielding, and agonizing quadrants, and what our fun types were. Recently, Mike's book was published, and we've had the pleasure of reading The Fun Habit. Today, we're going to dive deeper into how fun can be actionable and enjoyable. For an added challenge, Mike had us read more about edge work, which is voluntary risk-taking activities, and soapboxing soapboxing about what type of edge work you find fun. But first, if at any time the conversation gets too intense, the safe word is... Mango. Mango. Oh, wait. TC's not here. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> Girls are ridiculous. First up on her soapbox is Sarah. Well, I had fun preparing for this episode in a few different ways. Starting, of course, with being very excited to have received a copy of Mike Parker's book and knowing we'd get a chance to chat with him again. But also because I went back and listened to some of our last Fun Habit episode. It was a great episode. I mean, as usual. But I really liked hearing again about what I had to say about my fun type, the enthusiast, and how I categorized my activities. I really feel like I was pretty spot on with it, and it all still holds true almost a year and a half later, including my job not bringing me joy, which does beg the question, why am I still there? But anyway, moving on. (laughs) I've enjoyed reading this book. I did receive a copy of the book, which was very exciting. And also it was very exciting to see it uh, on display in the Miami airport. And there I was taking pictures of the book display because I'm a fool. But anyway, I also bought the audio book because I wanted to be able to listen wherever and whenever. Plus, in this case, it was a little bit like chatting with Mike again as he narrates it himself, which I really did like. I'm not quite finished with it yet, but a lot of that is because I pause to take notes, but I'm usually driving, so I end up rewinding to find out what it was I wanted to jot down. There are so many great concepts that Mike discusses that I paused and rewound a bunch, and I have a bunch of notes scattered around my house, car, and desk at work. So much of what Mike talks about just makes so much sense, like creating a fun file and not making it too long. When he talked about having too many choices for fun or anything for that matter, I could totally relate. The amount of time our family has spent some evenings trying to decide what movie to watch when we're chilling with dinner at home is comically sad. I've even created a list of movies for just Bill and I to watch to make our evening movie decision easier. And I looked at it just before this episode. There are 36 picks on that list. I guess I need to create a sub list of the top eight or something. To the topic of edge work, taking the risk for the fun of it. Interesting that a year and a half ago, I talked about how my living category of activities includes motorcycle riding. And I do believe that that could fall under the category of risky, but exhilarating. And I'm really interested to hear more about that topic here on this episode. Jess, how did you like the book? I really enjoyed Mike's book. I love learning different methods for maintaining a work-life balance because that's been one of my vision board goals for the last two years as far as self-care. I've gotten better about it, but it's definitely still a work in progress. So anything that helps me with that is awesome. I also really loved the applications of keeping fun in the workplace. I really work hard to keep my job positive and fun for myself, 
but also because I manage a team and negativity is so contagious. For the challenge of edge work, though, this was actually really hard. I think I'm confused. (laughs) I couldn't think of anything specific I do besides our weekly episodes. Usually some aspect of our challenges puts me outside of my comfort zone. And most of the time it ends up being fun. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the stand-up comedy episode. (laughs) (laughs) However, the description of edgework made it sound like it's something that you choose to do because you think it will be fun. Some of our challenges I've done because of FOMO, so I'm not sure if that meets the description. So I'm really excited and curious to have this discussion and also hear how the other sirens had their take on edgework to try to get some clarification. Elsie, what was it like waiting for this book to come out? So this was a new experience for me. Never in my life have I waited in excited anticipation for a book to come out. I mean, I guess movies do a better job than books at hyping up their product to get people excited. But this book, man, after our talk with Mike, I could not wait to get my hands on it and learn more. I'm so glad that it came out when it did. It was a great reminder of the things that we learned in episode 40. And this time, I think those lessons are going to be solidified because of learning the science behind why we do some of the things that we do. And because Mike interweaves some fun and memorable stories throughout the book, like the guy that got a wedding invitation by accident and said, yes, I've had several times throughout the history of the podcast where I've said this before. And it's the fact that there was a time where I thought I had everything I wanted and couldn't understand why I was not happier. And I felt very connected to the book when Mike describes going through something similar and the part where it says that you can still have fun when you're going through an unhappy period of your life. That really resonated with me. I have recently taken to heart what Mike said about checking emails all the time and the fact that your brain doesn't know when you're not working. As an entrepreneur, I feel the pressure to be on all the time. And because of the book, I have made a conscious effort to make time for fun with my family and not just the yielding activities like TV and social media. We've been uh, having fun by playing games and having game nights and walks in the park. And it's really been a breath of fresh air. And also, hello, 80 kid, 80s kid here, terrified of the nothing. And I love the connection of social media being like the no- nothing that just clicked for me. And when I find myself kind of doom scrolling, I'm like, this is just the nothing. And I, I put it away now. So, and I also think the podcast needs to have an entire episode on travel hacking and getting around gatekeepers. I hope Mike someday does an entire book on this because this sounds fascinating and I have so many questions. And I was pleased by the section of artifact journaling. I do a travel watercolor journal and I write down fun things that we do and sketch them out. And it's been a lot of fun and made me really happy to go back and look at this journal from time to time. I think I'm an edge work junkie (laughs) And I have a feeling that all the sirens are because we're scuba divers. Other things I like to do for fun, zip lining, kayaking, jet skiing. We do all sorts of stuff for the podcasts that I think are fun, motorcycles, fire eating, ghost hunting. And for work, I fly drones. So I might have a problem. (laughs) Mer, what's your favorite type of edge work? You did (laughs) mention scuba diving and scuba diving is probably my favorite risky activity. But there is another that um, I don't do as often, so it's probably even more exciting, and that's cliff jumping. So there is a park over here in Indiana that has some different cliffs where you can jump off. And I think I've only done like 25 feet or something. It's nothing major, but it's just into a quarry or whatever, and it makes me scared and excited, and I think that's probably my favorite. So I do love the idea of creating a habit of having fun. And that's what Mike Rucker, he gives us a lot of advice for doing just that in his book. He walks us through different activities like journaling, for example, and their effect on our happiness. I found it especially interesting to learn that a gratitude journal loses its positive benefits when done every day. And then it might be more beneficial to sit down like once a week and jot down things I'm grateful for. I also love the idea of following my kids lead when it comes to having fun instead of dictating the type of fun we have. Um, It reminded me of a recent adventure that I wanted to share with my kids. I planned a day trip to Columbus to visit Otherworld. Columbus, that's 
the city I was trying to say, to visit Otherworld, which is sort of a museum of oddities created by just many different artists. And the place was really cool. We got lost in the space for several hours. My nephew went with me, but my daughters refused to make the trip. So maybe it's just because they're teenagers, I don't know. But one thing is for certain, they had zero interest in this activity that I had been planning to do and strategizing to make happen for over a year. So lots of time wasted on, on an activity that was not even remotely interesting to them. And it did hurt my feelings, but I think the lesson learned was to talk to them about the things they wanna do before I put too much effort into planning something that I think might be that they might be interested in. And I love the chapter on bringing fun to work. Last week, our department had lunch with the CEO and one person pointed out that while we all sat around and listened to him speak and answer questions, no one really ate lunch. And maybe we viewed it as disrespectful to eat while he spoke. He didn't have time to eat because he was busy talking. Bottom line is that lunch with the CEO wasn't exactly fun. It was good and it was interesting and I'm glad that we did it. But it, I wouldn't have categorized it as fun, I guess. So my friend Brian and I, we do organize a monthly movie club meeting, which is completely voluntary. We started that about 15 months ago with just five of us showing up to the chat. And last month, I think we had like 12 people in the room and one person on the phone for the discussion. So this monthly movie club is something that many of us look forward to as another way to connect with each other. Our guest tonight is the man behind the fun habit, Michael Rucker. According to michaelrucker.com, he is an author, father, husband, organizational psychologist, and behavioral scientist, recovering entrepreneur, fitness enthusiast with mechanical parts, VW bus aficionado, seeker, traveler, and future astronaut. He goes on to say in his website that the tools I had built as a student of positive psychology suddenly failed me during one of my life's most difficult stretches. Finding myself unhappy, a bit lonely, and burnt out, I began to critically evaluate modern approaches to happiness. I quickly realized how, how much misinformation is out there. Years of research coalesced as the fun habit. The fun habit is an action-based approach that helps you critically examine your pursuit of happiness and make adjustments using evidence-based practices to invite more fun and joy in your life. Sirens, please join me in welcoming Mike Rucker to this episode of Siren Soapbox. Yay, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I'm seriously like cheering up that, uh, well, you guys obviously did your homework and that means a lot and like resonated with so much that you, you've all said, um, you know, each one of you. So, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I don't even know where to start, but like, I'll see what you said about, you know, like some of us that are really engaged in heavy pursuit, um, like how sometimes when you get so caught up in that and maybe become a little too much outcome focused, you know, just kind of exposing that, you know, as because um, you're always told as an author not to read your reviews. And I, I feel fortunate I've gotten a lot of good ones with the critical ones sometimes are like, and like some of them are like, this guy had everything. Like, how dare he say, you know, like, you know, talk about, you know, misery or whatnot. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, like maybe you haven't figured out I didn't, you know, and I think a lot <laughs> of us don't, you know, especially, you know, in this Western ideal of self-worth being so tied to productivity, like, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, right? Like when you're, you know, excuse the phrase, but, you know, when you're kind of in this mode of eat what you kill, you know, you get, sometimes you forget that if you not enjoying things, you know, one, it can just not be fun, but in the worst case, you can burn out. And so, um, but each one of you, there were things where I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And like that connection is what it's all about, right? For sure. <laughs> so Mike, we're curious, what's your favorite type of edge work? For me, I think it's, well, there are two things. So uh, as far as physical activity, it's surfing because um, I just have always enjoyed that. But my kids are starting to leapfrog me with regards to skill. And so, um, as you mentioned, I do have mechanical parts. And so I can't run anymore. That used to be, you know, really my go to physical activity. Um, but I've had to adapt the way uh, that I pop up on my board because of my hip replacement. And so 
um, sometimes it's scary, especially the bigger waves, you know? And so, um, but I get pushed by the fact, especially my daughter, she's really taken to gymnastics. So she has such a, a like low center of gravity that, um, like within two summers, she's better than I've ever been. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Motivating and frustrating at the same time. <laughs> That's funny. Good for her. Yeah, she's crushing it. And my son's good too. He just can't paddle fast enough. He's still a, you know, he's only seven. So he does require someone to push him into the wave. He'll get there. Um, but my daughter's strong enough to get herself into the waves, you know, which I just think uh, you know, changes the game once you can, you know, cause then you can get in so much earlier. And so, yeah, I've never tried surfing Uh TC. She's not here tonight. We miss you TC. Her fiance surprised her with surfing lessons one time on a vacation. And she said it was so exciting. She really enjoyed doing it, but she said it was a lot of work. It was very yeah. exhausting. Yeah, it's such, it depends on what kind of Sherpa you have. Like if your instructor just pushes you, you know, essentially into the wave, like I think, but if you're, you know, if you have a good instructor that's also trying to teach you how to paddle, well, you guys are all strong swimmers, but yeah, regardless, I mean, and it depends, you know, it, it isn't, it's exhausting for sure. I mean, I always love the afterglow of, of any really physical activity, but especially surfing, like just a big, you know, hearty meal after being in the water for so long, just that there's something about it. that always makes the food taste better, but then on, <laughs> on the flip psychological edge work for me is still speaking. Like I've never really been, um, I've always like, uh, been a slave to my slides and now I'm giving presentations about the book that are meant to like get outside of the podium and really not just, you know, sort of academic in nature, but meant to be more motivational. And I really want to be a good steward of that because I'm not Tony Robbins. Those kinds of things I think resonate and, 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 and certainly work for certain people. But since that's not my flavor, I'm trying to be a good steward of those opportunities, be authentic. And so I put a lot of weight on that performance. And so for me, I lean into that discomfort, you know, and, but it certainly still presents itself as an immense amount of fear. And so mm -hmm. I think that, you know, with regards to the classic definition of edge work still applies. That's interesting that you say that because, Sarah, I also listened to the book. And as I was listening to you explain it, I immediately went back to the time we did stand up comedy because it was scary and it was so fun and so rewarding. And I've even gone to some open mics since then, but I have not been brave enough to get back up on stage and tell Aww. any jokes. So, but yeah, I, you know, it's not like a physical, but it is physical. I mean, the reaction is the same, whether I'm jumping off a cliff or going up on the stage to tell jokes, you know? Yeah, because it's not passive, right? So I think it fits the definition. I mean, in the literature, it's often talked about with extreme sport. And I think that's because when you're in those situations, it's easier because one of the tenets of it, right, is encoding such rich information, you know, because you're so aware of everything, especially if you're in the state of flow. So, you know, there's that sweet spot in between feeling that you're using your skills, but not you also exhilarated by the fact that you have to push yourself that, you know, oftentimes extreme sport is, is what we talk about, but certainly when you're up there, you know, like stand up comedy, right. And all eyes are on you. That's very much a physical activity. It's not anything that you could frame as passive. It's just not right. So, cause there's certainly scary things that are passive. Right. But that, um, so again, I think, yeah, stand up comedy improv is often brought up, you know, by others, um, public speaking, I think all fits the bill with regards to edge work. It's funny that we, someone brought up uh, TC and her, um, uh, or you, you, someone brought up TC and her, her edge work, previous edge work. They've, uh, she and her fiance have just been on vacation. They're just traveling back. And I think they're just getting back in and they sent a message. Apparently TC was jumping uh, off rocks 20 feet into the water. So even though she's not here, she's definitely here in spirit because she's been practicing her edge work while she wasn't here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to hear about jumping uh, 25 feet um, and, and then just into a quarry. That sounds really dangerous. 
think there's, wa- there's water at the bottom of that quarry. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's water at the bottom of that quarry. Yeah. And it's I, deep Are enough. you in one of those flying squirrel outfits? Or- <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be insane. <laughs> no, there's water at the bottom. And it's deep enough that actually divers are diving this quarry while jumpers are jumping into the water. So that's one of my favorite things to do. We, we usually about once a summer we'll go to some lake and rent a boat and find a place where we can climb up and jump off into the water. I only have to do it like once or twice and that's, I'm good. But Yeah, that's always been fearful for me too. I think I must be, if I, you know, the body keeps the score, right? I'm sure I belly flopped like at least three or four times, you know, before <laughs> teenage years. And so uh, like every time I do something like that, I'm afraid my body's going to go, you know, uh, horizontal <laughs> to, the, to the water. <laughs> I always had trouble jumping off the 10 foot di- diving board at school. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was like my body was just wouldn't let me do it. I'd be standing, I'd stand there forever. I'm like, I can do it. It's just right there. It's going to be fine. And I couldn't go. And then See, remember was- that the longer you would stay, like my knees would start to shake. So the board would get wobbly. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. So you just kind of had, I remember I would just do it because I knew what was coming. If I, you know, as uh, Tina Fey says, right, you can't be that kid that's, sits on the edge of the water slide sometimes you just gotta jump (laughs) I think that applies with the diving board too see and I am like the opposite Sarah I to this day cannot go to a pool that has a 10-foot diving board and not jump off of it over and over again (laughs) I love it (laughs) but I did jump out of a plane once I feel like that counts it definitely counts a perfectly good plane and I jumped out I think I'm going to wait until I'm 50 to do that because then, then all my kids will be adults and uh, so I just in case I die. <laughs> I, I did it before I had kids. No, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I basically I, always had kids. So, yeah, I did it back when I was really crazy and silly and was like, ah, oh, nothing to lose. It'll be fine. <laughs> and my only disappointment was I jumped out uh, or I, it took me too long to get my other foot out because I did a tandem jump. Right. So I was attached to somebody and the, the guy that I was attached to, he was trying to get out of the plane and, and one of my feet would not come with us because it was not going to let me leave the plane. So the person on the diving board, the person (laughs) taking the video jumped out. And so in the video, I'm about this big and you can't really see me this big for those that can't see very tiny. Um, And so picture a poly pocket. (laughs) <laughs> one of the one of the points of getting the video was to send it to my mom so that she could have a heart attack watching me dive out, jump out of a plane. But seeing as it, it wasn't going to work because she couldn't see me, I didn't buy the video. I was going to say, she's like, who is it? what's this speck of something flying through the air that you sent me? I don't understand. So I had to console myself <laughs> just telling her I jumped out of, out of a plane. plane. <laughs> so Jess, has edge work been explained a little bit better to you? Or are you still confused? Yeah. It has. I just, I feel like, I don't know why for some reason scuba diving didn't even come into my brain, I guess, just because I refused to do any of the crazy, insane dives, like, you know, in caves and whatnot. So I don't know why that didn't come in my brain. But I also, I just, like, I don't know, we do all these challenges and yeah, most of them end up being fun, but I don't know if it's, I just don't know if they count because it's not so much that I'm like, it's my idea, I guess, is why in my brain. I don't know if they count because it's not my idea. But it's the, I mean, really the, you know, the reason that's called edge work is you're getting up to that edge of fear, right? So to the point where you're not so anxious that it's not enjoyable at all, but similar to how flow gets you up to skill, edge work really gets you up to that feeling of, mild discomfort so that you can grow within that space right where it's not traumatic but at the same time you're like okay i do have you know one some people enjoy risk so there's two types right like oftentimes what's used um is the roller coaster because most people know that when they get on a roller coaster it will be thrilling but the risk is fairly low but i think with scuba diving like i remember scuba diving in the great barrier reef um and uh oh what was it it was uh, i'm embarrassed that i forget but it was a fish way bigger than me it wasn't a shark but it was and 
like I was fearful. Like I was at the edge of fear. I knew I was genuinely safe, generally safe, but um, it brought me into that awe and wonder of just seeing something new, um, you know, and really feeling the connection to the sea, but then also feeling a little bit um, unsafe, you know, and, and finding comfort in that. Um, so I, but I see where you're going with that. Like if it's true recreational, like let's, I, I'm going to, I'm going to like boil it down to something even safer, like snorkeling where you never feel, you know, any sort of sense of danger, then that you're right. That wouldn't be, you know, edge work. Cause you're not really at the edge of fear. Right. So is that maybe where the ambiguity is? Yeah, I guess I just was thinking like, does it have to be something that you choose um well or but is even your idea even if it's not your idea you're still choosing to complete the task you're still choosing to do the thing so in my opinion i think it counts like getting online with that group of people to do that improv that was scary for you i think that counts i don't know if you enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> well, but i think you the did other it. thing too is that some people are afraid to scuba dive yeah, and that's going to be beyond edge work for them. And that's like, you know, no big deal for you. Yeah. I think it all depends on everybody's comfort level. And also uh, maybe how you feel at the end of, of the edge work. If you had fun, maybe, maybe Mike can help me out with that. <laughs> no, I think that's right. I think, you know, the idea is again, you know, where are you in that sweet spot of sort of pushing yourself versus not feeling like it's traumatic. And you're spot on. I mean, I think the fact that you opted into these challenges, like even though the challenges were dictated to you, the fact that you weren't forced into them certainly means that it was voluntary, right? You, I mean, I'm sure you could, I'm not going to say it again because, I don't, <laughs> but the word to be unspoken, like, right, you could say that and opt out of it. So it very much <laughs> wasn't involuntary, right? Even I didn't want to say mango again on our show. <laughs> Then, then I would really have this, uh, you know, record to uphold to being the person that said it twice. I'm sure that's not going to be broken for some time. <laughs> like, man, uh, speaking of edge work, right? Back using the safe word. So scared of the sirens. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, I, I get, you know, uh, I get the ambiguity, but in essence, it's, you know, if you're getting yourself voluntarily, which you are, you know, because you opted into these challenges, even though, and I love the variability of it, right? Like, um, and to the extent that you're leaning into that discomfort, you know, so that you can enjoy yourself. Like, I don't know, have you guys heard REI's interpretation now of trying to break fun down into three types? I find that very interesting. No, uh, I have not heard this. REI, um, like the adventure company? The yeah, adventure gear company. Yeah, I kept getting interviewed about it because I think the blog post got was popular for a hot minute. Um, mm. uh, so it's really interesting. So because uh, it's a completely different model than one that I would use, although you could argue, let me get into it and then we'll unpack it. So uh, they call type one fun anything that's fun in the moment. So if you're having fun um, and you're enjoying it in the moment, that's type one. Type two are things that are challenging. Um, so in the moment, right? Like that experience I shared at the Great Barrier Reef, I was not really having that much fun because I was a little bit scared, but in the telling, right? You see the big old smile on my face. Like right. uh, in the telling, you absolutely had fun, right? And I would imagine, you know, cliff jumping is another one, right? In that moment, it's so, in uh, you know, exhilarating and perhaps sensory overload. You wouldn't call it fun in that moment, but in the retelling, absolutely, right? Um, yeah. And then type three, which I just find ridiculous, I've gone on record as saying so, are things that are not fun. And whenever you look back at them, they were never, you never consider them fun. I'm like, how do you even call that fun? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's yeah. kind of crazy. That's not a fun type. That's like, sounds like torture to me. Yeah, well, but what? I think for the REI crowd, it makes sense, right? They're trying to say like, what, what are the things that you do that you just enjoy? What are the things where you pushed yourself? um you know and you're glad you did and then what are like the hikes or the mountaineering that you did that you're like that's awful I never want to do it again so it's <laughs> interesting yeah almost like my agonizing quadrant right so like they just cut it up a little bit different but um true. I think type two fun you know using theirs uh you know which is essentially you know a, a form of edge work 
makes sense, right? There are a lot of things that we do that are really um, the things that build us resilience. And like in the book, I talk about it, uh, you know, and the reason for that is that we, when those things are kind of scary, our brain dilates time a little bit. And so we encode more sensory data, right? We tend to remember the smells. We tend to have more vivid pictures of, of what that was, um, you know, and there's some neurochemical reasons for that, you know, because when we feel like um, we're potentially going to be put in harm's way, we want to remember that to, un, you know, to um, feel safe the next time. But when it's done for fun's sake, right? Like then it's just one of those things we can look back at and be like, that was bananas, you know, <laughs> like I'm so, that's crazy that I did it. And then if it leads to mastery even better, right? Like, you know, as we explore crazier dives or feel, you know, um, you, a, a better sense of mastery to do a harder cave or like for me, I really enjoyed wreck dives. So it was, you know, kind of progressing to be able to do crazier and crazier wrecks, which are dangerous. I like remember cutting my wetsuit on one and, um, mm. you know, like obviously once you start to bleed in wa unknown waters, you know, it's a little. Yeah. It's uh, time to end that dive, bud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's, you know, that's why it's important. There's a whole host. One, it pushes you to it. It can lead to mastery, which is always fun. I think for most people, you know, they want to, they want to be able to get better at, you know, this hard thing. Right. And then last, it really uh, creates these enriched memories with, um, you know, encoded sensory information, which we know when we look back at our life, those are the moments, right? Those are the things, whether it's edge work or not, like having, those types of memories, um, we know not is just a good thing, like, you know, for folks that are familiar with Bronnie Ware's work, you know, the five regrets of the dying, you know, like it, it's one adds to a life well lived, but two, we know that it adds neuroplasticity, like it, those things that are sort of novel, you know, we call it a tapestry of life really does build resilience and builds cognitive reserve. Um, so there's like, both the feel good element of it, right? Project, you know, uh, going towards a path of mastery, but then too, there's clear physiological and psychological benefits because those things allow us to look back at our life and go, wow, I was, I lived a pretty cool life. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I feel like I can tie this entire conversation back to scuba diving, even <laughs> some divers can't just get the open water certification then they got to go for the advance and then the rescue and then you know i think sarah are you a dive master you're a rescue diver i think right yeah. but lc is an instructor i mean you so you take that skill and you build upon it and maybe it's not as scary as it was when you first started but being in the pool with a brand new diver and seeing their eyes light up the first time they get to breathe underwater or going to the deep end and they feel the pressure for the first time, like, oh, I need to equalize or, you know, or they, you know, you can almost experience that adrenaline rush again through them. So I think it's, I don't know if that's empathy or what it is, but it, it works. It keeps that thrill alive. Yeah. I mean, that why all... you like teaching? I love it. <laughs> gosh sorry <laughs> no but i think that is right you know there's we're still sort of figuring that out but uh i just had an amazing conversation last week with paul zach uh and for folks unfamiliar with him he's really studied a lot of the oxytocin research and so i think when you see that when you know that like what they're in store like all the enjoyment that they're gonna get there's a deeper connection than just kind of you know pleasure or excitement right it's like you know, call it empathy, call it connection, whatever it is, you know, it's something special. And that stuff um, really just makes us feel better. Like, and it, it has a lasting effect. It's not just in the moment. Right. Yeah. So Mike, how hard was it to uh, write a book? It was intense, especially writing a book about fun during the pandemic, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I sold it right before the pandemic. And then as I confess in the book, I, I ended up getting COVID mm -hmm. and was knocked out for about eight months. Um, you know, luckily, I, I the only lasting effect I have now is some minor neuropathy that I'm dealing with. But, uh, you know, I didn't know that I was going to be able to finish it. So wow. it, it was neat to use some of the principles of the book to like not get too down and know, you know, that even, you know, these pits of despair are temporary. And um, yeah, so... 
but I would, anybody that has a story to tell, I would encourage them to do it. It's, it's really is a interesting process to be able to, you know, get your ideas out and, and then refine them. Um, yeah. And then connect with just amazing people, especially if it's, you know, a nonfiction book where you have an affinity for the topic, you know, um, I've been so loving the journey, just keep meeting so many amazing people and getting to have these conversations. It's, it's been a real joy. That's really cool. We are trying to write a book. <laughs> it's been in the process for a year now, and we've not even sent anything off to publishers yet, but we're getting there. I mean, LC just did a bunch of work on it, though. And I just, all we have to do, Tracy and I, is just like read it. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm curious oh. because, I mean, we have our, our steps for how to explore outside your comfort zone um, through what we've learned through the podcast. And that's the story that we want to tell. But what was more challenging for you coming up with a fun habit and having your story or putting that into to words on a book and working with a publisher? Yeah, I think so. This was a labor of love coming out of my doctoral work. So I had, you know, um, what do they call it? You know, I was antsy and wanted to keep writing. Um, so I wrote the first manuscript and this was before COVID. And it was essentially just another literature review for folks that aren't in academia. Essentially, it was just a bunch of regurgitated science, right? And so no one would have ever read it. And so I think for me, being an academic writer, the challenge was, you know, breathing life into it, you know, being vulnerable and sharing some of my stories um, for better or worse. And like I said, you know, some folks are, you know, exactly what I was afraid of is happening, right? They're critical of my stories. And I'm like, wow, you know, there's, you know, there's still a person that wrote this book. Like, <laughs> right. you know, this like, wasn't chat GTP, man. Yeah. This is Mike Rucker. <laughs> no, but it's funny because like most of them are legit. Like it's actually, I think because I was really coached well and I braced for it, I because, you know, if you read the Goodread critical reviews, it's like, yeah, the book was interesting, but this guy really seems like a dork. And I'm like, you know what? That's right. I kind of am. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then, a good assessment. <laughs> yeah. And then one said, I was really annoyed about how much he enjoys spending time with his kids. So I'm like, what? okay. <laughs> like, well, I guess I deserve that. All right. <laughs> oh, what a terrible person you are, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And then some people are critical of, you know, I, I share my views. I'm certainly... Uh, not an atheist, but I'm agnostic. And some people took issue with, um, you know, some of the parallels I drew with Patton Oswalt at the end, you know, kind of, um, you know, folks that are still just trying to figure it all out, you know, like, how dare this guy not have it figured out? God is the answer. And that's good <laughs> for them. You know, um, I don't have, but I like to be, you know, to, so I was like, wow, okay. That, you know, like I was trying to be open-minded. You're not, that's right. <laughs> 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 so that it's that kind of stuff you know I think for me to answer your question like that was the scary part and um none of it was untrue the things I was scared of happened but like why well, it just didn't matter you know especially because you're going to connect with people that you want to and I that's a learned skill right to uh I remember when I first started out and maybe some of you um can relate maybe not but like my wife would laugh at me like, you know, when we're trying to build our audience and this was 10 years ago. Right. And I'd had like 400 subscribers that were essentially family and friends. And <laughs> I would get the analytics that would say, you know, 250 people opened it, which is sort of amazing. Right. And then but I would sit and complain to my wife about the two people that unsubscribed. <laughs> <You know>? like, <laughs> like what's wrong with you first of all you're the one that decided to start this like this like you don't have a boss you could just quit tomorrow you know <laughs> so yeah but i mean i can't wait to see what you guys have in store i mean you know this has been a fun journey especially you know watching you guys on your social channels just the tribe that you guys are bringing together and it's clear your guys's message is resonating with a lot of folks Thank you. Yeah, I, I, we keep begging people to leave um, reviews at the end of our shows. And I actually, I, I'm sure there's a way to like go on and read them. I haven't seen any reviews. I'm, I don't think I'm braced for the negative ones yet. I don't think I'm ready for that. Yeah, you got to I think you, I got coached multiple times, because I think if I didn't hear it from, you know, 
trusted friends and more than once. So hopefully I'm the first one, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, um, uh, then it would have hurt, but I, you know, be, because I've let it hurt and I know how stupid that is. And, I, and, you know, I even talk about it in the book, right. It's literally an army of nothing. Like, of course you want it to resonate with folks, but um, because it has, right. Like I've gotten some really endearing personal messages about how it's changed their life. The ones that are where you can tell maybe they didn't even read the book, you know, they just like, <laughs> right. you know, or it just didn't resonate, which is fair. You know, like I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have enough hubris to think that I'm going to meet everyone where they are, you know? Yeah. We're not for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, for, I, you and me, right? <laughs> like, I think that is a broad thing. <laughs> uh, I think we're agreeing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, do you remember the days when it's like, if you don't have anything nice, don't say it at all? Because I bet most of these people that are saying negative things are online. And it's like, obviously, they're not happy. And they're doing, they're saying things to bring other people down. And that's unfortunate. Well, I'll I'll put the spotlight on me. I didn't, I had no idea we were going to go in this direction, but it's good. (laughs) You just never know what rabbit hole we're going to go Exactly. this could be like long game edge work if you think about it, right? I mean, again, oh, that's a yeah, good point. We're really stretching the definition, but um, <laughs> it, it, I mean, we are voluntarily putting ourselves out there, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, another thing that sometimes I'll forget, like when I do notice it might be affecting me, is that they're talking about the book, the product, like, you know, with the very few exceptions. Uh, again, someone called me a dork, like, it's like the book just didn't hit, you know, that's fine. You know, um, yeah. like there are plenty of movies that are, are, you know, are just different pieces of art where I have different tastes and, you know, so, um, but yeah, yeah. Be, be prepared for that. <laughs> it's part of the journey. My husband told me when we first started this journey, um, you know, and I told him what it was going to be about, like what we were doing and, he knows me and he knows that I will cry at somebody saying just, you know, I don't like that shirt you're wearing. Um, <laughs> because that's who I am as a person. Uh, but he was basically like, people on the internet are assholes. I'm just telling you that right now. Just, just be prepared. And I was just like, well, what do you mean? And he's just like, just, you're going to come to me at some point because somebody is going to have said something negative online. And just people on the internet are assholes. <laughs> well, in, in, in general, people on the internet are assholes and cowards because they're doing it from a keyboard behind a screen. You don't even see them. It's very different than mm-hmm. actually being in front of somebody and offering some criticism. They're all just cowards, basically. Yeah. And I think it's worth it to put up with that a little bit because the the message that we have to give people and the message that Mike's giving people with the fun habit. I mean, those are really important things that people need to hear and right. it might bring somebody out of a dark period. So if I got to put up with a, some asshole on the internet for a little bit, then, you know, it's worth it. That's fine. You know what? You should shoulders. Um, figure out one uh, and then you guys could um, like present it to each other, you know, like figure out the one that feels like they can handle it the best and then just be like, <laughs> here it is. You know, well, and then I think that's TC is going to put up with it the best. <laughs> I do too, for sure. So yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and nope right out of that job. <laughs> yeah. So Mike, do you have a favorite positive review or success story that you've heard from someone who's read your book? Yeah. One um, has, is really standing out uh, as like lately. Well, there's two cool things. So let me, um, so the, the I'll answer the question and I'll tell you something really cool that just happened. So the review was, um, it was somebody who had picked up the book, but knew that um, their sibling was um, a physician that was like, uh, had just like it mirrored the story that I share in chapter three. They had a colleague that um, unfortunately had uh, completed suicide um, and it was really taking a toll on her. And, but her, uh, defense mechanism was to just work more. And he's like, look, you know, you need to read this book. You need to read this book. Um, and she relented and finally started reading it and then sent him this just really endearing message how the book, um, you know, had changed her trajectory. And then he shared me her text messages um, 
And like, that's what it's all about. You know, like the fact that uh, she's now going to recover again, you know, my academic work was in physician burnout. So that has a special spot in my heart this year. Um, it, it's the highest rate they've ever seen at 63% of physicians reporting being burnt out, you know, and wow. we need that more than ever, right. With everything that's going on. Um, so that one, that one meant a lot. And then, um, I don't know if you guys remember the um, bit about Judy, uh, you know, going back to fun at work. So she's my dental hygienist. Yeah. Um, and uh, People uh, Magazine found out about her story and did, gave her a half page in People, the people coming out next week. So wow. oh, that's fun. Yeah. She's so humble. So, you know, she's an introvert. So this was like really performance art for her. Right. But it's not like she... I think that was sort of the specialness of her. She never wanted accolades or anything. Never, you know, it was just a way for her to comfort people in a situation that's pretty much known as like one of the worst things that that people have to do, right? And like so much so, as I wrote in the book, that um, she was able to reduce the amount of drugs people needed to feel at ease within the dentist office. And uh, she ended up retiring um, but they still did the piece on her. And so the fact that she's getting celebrated, it's really, you know, lightened, like given her, you know, this kind of 15 minutes that she's really enjoying that wouldn't have otherwise happened. That's, that's really made me happy too. So is, Aww. is there anybody at the office who's going to sort of take the, take over that role of no, that's the thing that I think that's, you know, it's one of the tenants in the book, right? It's like, you really need to own it. And um, especially here in the U.S., like, you know, going on this book tour, I didn't, the the social norms um, are just so entrenched, right? Whether we're just talking about leisure and fun to anyone kind of acting outside of the norm, even though it's so helpful because everyone in that office knows it is, but they still look at it as goofy, right? Yeah. And so no one's going to pick up the... Uh, um, the baton as it were, which is unfortunate, but I think her story is making an impact where people now feel more empowered to, to do that type of work. And so that part makes me happy. Um, but you know, these are the exceptions, not the rule. Right. And like, obviously you're not telling an accountant to wear a silly hat or whatever, like, <laughs> you know, I, that's what, like people always go to the extremes too. Right. I think right. the book's more about balance. It's not like, you know, going to Burning Man every year. Right. Like, <laughs> So uh, that that's what's funny too is like, you know what I, for whatever reason I think we're just we always think in absolutes now too whether that's politics or whatever the reason you know it's always you always have to pick a side instead of again you know that empathy meeting in the middle finding where the connection is which is so important for us all feeling well you know and so again I guess to kind of wrap it back to edge work I think that's another one of its really key components is that connection, right? When you are doing something that you have voluntarily sort of said, okay, I get it that it's a little risky, but I know that it could potentially have a big reward, you usually feel connected to that activity too, right? And you guys have already kind of written a love letter for scuba diving. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it is a love affair, like, you know, ballet dancers, um, you know, often, you know, and it's only because I read the study, but I'm sure it's across the board with different um, vocations and hobbies that, you know, do require operating at that high of a level, you know, they, they talk about it as a love affair. And I think, you know, that's because it truly is, you know, <laughs> not to circle back to the, to the negative, which maybe you should go first, Elsie, but um, as a physician, I can definitely speak to the, the level of burnout that myself and my partners and, and other specialties at the hospital where I am. I mean, it's, uh, it is rampant. And I do think that that contributes significantly to the fact that I do not find joy in my job anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, you know, the data, I think we got into it a little bit the last episode. Um, it just becomes a downward spiral, right? And I, to some degree, you know, it's just a weird world that we're, uh, you know, once empathy on both sides starts to fray, then patient outcomes start to falter by correlation, right? And and then, you know, then you don't feel good about your work. And it's just the state that we're in. And there's so many headwinds. Um, and I, I don't want to get us off the rails, right? But like, you know, again, I think it's just, 
you know, how many patients you have to see per hour, the fact that EMRs essentially gave you more work to do with the same amount of time, you know, and like, those are just two of the major factors, right? Like I have so much Sara uh, empathy for, for you and just for what physicians are going through right now. I mean, it's clearly like a cri- at crisis, right? Um, so it's unfortunate. It's pretty bad referring to EMR specifically. It's pretty bad when you actually have uh, committees that get together to figure out how to decrease the number of keystrokes a physician has to to hit uh, to complete given tasks. What's EMR? Uh, um, Electronic medical record. Oh, okay. So theoretically a lot easier, right, than handwriting everything. And plus, you know, Physicians, as brilliant as we all are, our handwriting is not always the best. So EMR <laughs> was supposed to really help with that, make everything legible, make everything there and visible medically legally. But um, there just has not been the correct platform to do that without creating a lot of additional work for the physicians and all providers. You know, it's uh, not just the physicians, it's nurses, mid-level providers, everybody. And for better or worse, it opened up a communication channel with patients, which obviously patients love, but then physicians weren't compensated for all that extra work, you know, because now essentially if we have additional questions, we feel entitled to ask them. And I mean, I, that should be good for the patient uh, physician relationship, right? But physicians, a lot of times aren't getting compensated for that work. So think if any of us were essentially told, okay, well now you get to work 15% more, but we're not going to compensate you for that. Where physicians are already working 50 to 60 hours a week. I mean, um, and again, that's just one of the things they're dealing with right now. You know, we won't even get into press Ganey because I know we're, <laughs> we're running out of time, but like, um, you know, uh, anyways, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm out, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it goes to, you know, you have fight folks like Dyke Drummond. There, there are physicians that are escaping, uh, or not escaping. That's the wrong, uh, but are trying to help, like trying to figure out. You know, even this isn't really in the realm of fun, but something as simple as a scribe, right? I mean, we know, you know, it's a fairly low, uh, low cost, and it really takes a lot of the burden off physicians. Like the things that we can do, um, but for whatever reason, like let's just talk about it in broader terms, right? Like. I have been unpacking, maybe this is the next book and this isn't necessarily fun, but it applies to leisure. Like we're second to last within the developed world with regards to even giving people access to leisure, right? 10 days off per one year's worth of work. There's one country below us, Micronesia at nine days per one year's worth of work, right? I mean, we are literally rock bottom. Um, And we've kind of, because, you know, we've been sold this, idea that self-worth is tied to productivity for some reason we believe if that's okay because if we just work a little bit more somehow all of it's going to work out but we have the data now we know that it doesn't work out in fact you know it's not just physicians it's people across the board are so depleted have no resilience left because they're not having fun they're not taking time off the table for themselves they're losing the ability to make connections um that, you know, we have all of these physiological and psychological poor outcomes and you can't draw a straight line, but I feel like the dotted line is pretty thick at this point. We took a dark turn, but I know. I I hope what you hear from that is go out and have some fun. (laughs) (laughs) Having a a scribe for your EMR is a bit like getting a babysitter to do bath time, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) And that was another criticism. Again, like this is good because we'll go back to laughing, but someone was like, it called me entitled. Like, again, like the whole thing was like, we couldn't afford a nanny. And they're like, you know, the fact that he doesn't find joy in giving his kids baths just says everything about him. Oh, my like, God. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's a smart yeah. guy. I know. That's exactly what I thought. I heard that and I was like, oh, brilliant. I was like, so- that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark and I, we have a set date night every week, but we're both divorced parents and our ex-partners have our kids half the time. So Tuesday night, we're both kid-free. That's date night. And that is so super important to us. If we lived together and were raising kids together and had them every night, when would we possibly fit that in? Unless you, unless you hire somebody to come over, to come take over parent time for you. That's brilliant. 
And that's another win, I, I think. Um, I mean, I've only heard it a couple of times, so I can't say it's like pervasive, but like, oh, I didn't think, you know, we love our neighbors and I never thought to trade, uh, you know, childcare time. And like, so again, only heard it a couple of times, but like, that's big, right? Because I know for us, you know, $80 extra a night, that kind of puts a burden, you know, mm-hmm. on what, you know, it makes us do it less. And so now that we're doing, you know, um, some child share, uh, you know, childcare sharing, you, that uh, frees up more money to do some cool stuff, right? Um, and so it's not just for people, you know, that come from a place of privilege. I mean, there are ways to get creative. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, that's good because that was funny. That was another. <laughs> I, I, you guys will, I, and I think I've shared like the three worst. So that's good. Like they don't get worse than that. So <laughs> if you can handle those, you'll be fine. Well, I my- can't wait to help you guys um, elevate that book. Like, again, I love the journey you guys are on and I'm glad that I get to be a guest, on, you know, on the voyage. And um, so I'm excited for you guys. Is that, have you already broke the news? I did listen to a couple of podcasts to get ready, but I don't remember hearing about the book. Yeah. It's not something that we talk about regularly, Okay, but it is something that's, it's like been on our vision boards the last couple of years, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. Well, uh, let me know how I can support for sure. We will oh, we'll definitely pick your brain. <laughs> All right. So man, I, I have so many questions. We didn't I know. Even get to. I know. Sorry. There's. I'm looking at this list. No. Like, man, there are like twelve questions we didn't we didn't even ask. No. So but that's all right. But we'll we are coming up on an hour. That's right. <laughs> so, Mike, this is something new since you joined us last. We are asking all of our guests now. What gets you out of your comfort zone and excited to explore? Well, we talked about it the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> But I will share like something a little existential because I really have been playing like in no way do I think we're living in the matrix at all. But I have been fascinated. I do. (laughs) 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 Well, I'll tell you where like the the Venn diagram for me is that uh, I read the book Sapiens. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a really interesting book. And it essentially goes through the history of how we, um, you know, we evolved from being hunter gatherers, right? And essentially it's because everything was made up, right? So whether you believe we're in the matrix or not, like money is essentially created by us, right? Like it's not a real thing. We just agreed, you know, we have the social agreement that it is. Government isn't a real thing. Corporations aren't a real thing. We've essentially made it up and created these systems. Um, And, uh, you know, even if you do prescribe to a religion, again, I'm not knocking on anyone's religion, but there's, that means there's at least 300 other ones out there that were made up by somebody. Um, And so all of these things that kind of dictate how we operate, were made up by us. And so like, how can you figure out what the rules are and potentially manipulate them? Um, And there's some discomfort in that, right? Because again, whether then you start to overthink it and you do get close to, yeah, maybe we are in the matrix. (laughs) So I don't know if that's the most discreet answer, but it's been scaring me because like you think about it too much, right? And you're like, um, but then the fun side, again, kind of relating it back to edge work is you're like, okay, wait, if I understand the rules intimately, then I can start to bend some of them, you know, and, and, and make the world... Uh, a place, even if it's more the micro world than the macro world, right? Um, the micro world that I live in, I can make it a place that is enjoyable for me. Um, and then, because I think what that does is it relinquishes some of the burdens of thinking that you have to change the macro world. I talk about that a little bit in the book too, right? Like mm-hmm. these huge impactful change makers realize that if they take on too much, again, they'll burn out, right? There's no way to change the macro world, but you can make your debt in the universe. And so, that's where I've been really having, you know, challenging myself, like to what degree can I sort of bend things to my will and make, make my own world, live in my Very own matrix. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I do believe in the matrix. You got it out of me. I didn't want to go on record. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, we have a challenge for our listeners this week. We'd like you to think about the type of edge work you enjoy. And, uh, you know, that's the type of play that involves taking voluntary risks just to experience the thrill of it. Then we want you to go do it and let us know how it goes by using the hashtag Siren Soapbox on all the social medias. Mike? However, Siren Soapbox is not responsible for any injuries. <laughs> yeah, right. We have to have our jackass disclaimer. That's right. <laughs> 
not send in videos. We will not watch them. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. Um, I, I blog at michaelrucker.com. And if you're interested in the fun habits available wherever you enjoy buying books. Including the Miami airport. Including the yes. Miami airport. <laughs> Apparently it's in every airport, which is amazing. I that is it. so fun. Yeah, it's I think awesome. it's the cover. <laughs> it is a beautiful cover. It makes me happy. Well, Sirens, thank you so much for playing with us tonight. And thank you, fellow explorers, for listening to this episode. We'll have a link in the description to Mike's website. And we will also put a link to buy us a coffee in case you want to support the Sirens in that way. Of course, you're listening to this episode of Support Enough. Thanks again for listening. And make sure you rate and review us wherever you're listening to podcasts. And until next time, dive in, stay curious and be happy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Siren Soapbox and a special thank you to C-Strings for providing our music. Snag their latest EP from iTunes today. Follow the Sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Siren Soapbox.